0: We continue our sermon series today, our Midsummer Monster Series, those monsters that continually plague us, that we all struggle with as we talk about the monster of suffering, the monster of grief, the monster of pain and hurt. And I don't believe there are any among us that have not experienced that in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And if you have not, you most assuredly will. I ask that you join me in the scripture today to Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. We go to the fourth chapter with the seventh verse as he talks about treasure in jars of clay. You may follow on the screen or in your Bibles or you may simply listen to his word to us. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, for that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence, for it is all for your sake So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, But to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. I want to talk to you today perhaps about the thorniest issue that confronts us in our Christian faith the single biggest obstacles that non-Christians have in becoming believers in Jesus Christ. If there is a God, why do people suffer? In theological circles, that's called the theodicy question. Why God allows suffering? And the process of the question goes something like this. If God cannot stop suffering then God is not great. If God can stop suffering but does not, then he cannot be good. So many folks will ask, if you're telling me that God is great and God is good, why should there be suffering and pain in the world? And it's a great, great question. It has been in my experience that this theodicy question is one of the biggest reasons why people struggle to believe in Jesus Christ and in the love and the mercy that is God. Perhaps I've described some of you out there today, I don't know. Maybe you've experienced some unspeakable pain or tragedy in your life, and it keeps you from totally giving over your life and trusting into God, let alone a good and a loving God. Or perhaps you have friends or relatives that have borne an unspeakable tragedy of some sort. And you want to try to help them. You want to try to give them some type of explanation of why suffering and hurt exist. Or perhaps you believe in God. But this theodicy question has lingered within you for a very, very long time. And perhaps today's message can help a little. George Barna. He's the George Gallup in the Christian world. George Barna conducted a national survey, and he asked this question If you could ask God only one question, and you knew that He would give you an answer, what question would you ask? Far and away, the number one thing that was repeated to George Barna was this Why is there pain and suffering in this world? Now, of course, that assumes that a loving God and a suffering world cannot go hand in hand. And if you ask any pastor, what's the number one question we get in our offices when somebody comes to visit, it's usually, why is God doing this to me? Why am I suffering? Or why am I hurt? If you've never asked the question, where is God when it hurts, you most assuredly someday will. And one of the biggest problems we have in asking that question is how often and how differently we all answer that question with someone else. We usually say things that we're trying to help somebody else get it through. But sometimes we hurt other people in their most vulnerable times because we don't understand that the words we say are not really registering in here. Let me give you a couple examples. A baby dies, and someone says... God needed another angel in heaven. That sounds great to you, but probably not to the mother of that child. A young mother dies of breast cancer and leaves behind a husband and two children, and someone says God works in mysterious ways. A group of teenagers going to the prom die in a horrific car accident, and someone says God must have had a purpose. Life bad turn, and a friend of yours says, everything happens for a reason. A teenage girl receives the diagnosis that she has leukemia, and her friend tries to cheer her up by saying, God never gives you more than you can handle. Or a young man dies in an airplane crash, and someone says, it must have been God's will. Are you kidding me? are you joking with me? You really believe that? When I was serving Covington Trinity up in Covington, Covington United Methodist Church, I did a funeral for a family, and I went to visit them at their house. They weren't a member of of Trinity, and I sat in the living room, and I was asking the mother and the children about some information for the funeral, and Asked about what their church was like, and I found out that they went to church, but the father did not. Matter of fact, while I was there, the father was in another room. He was watching TV. And so I went ahead, as I always do with funerals, asking some pertinent questions, trying to understand some things. And as I was getting up to say goodbye, the, the father who had been in the other room came out because he knew I was there, and certainly he had probably overheard some of the things I was asking. And he stopped me before I, I left, and he said, Pastor... I think he said, Preacher, Preacher, you want to know why I don't go to church? Of course, I said, Sure, sure I do. And he said, Well, when I was a kid, my dad died suddenly. And everyone in the church that I grew up in said it was God's will that my father should die. And from that moment on, I never went back to church because I could never believe in a God like that stopped, and I smiled at him, and I said, neither do I, sir. Neither do I. It's beyond me, folks, how some people can read the Bible, follow the same Christ that I follow, and believe that God can orchestrate unspeakable tragedy in this world. It is beyond me that people believe in Jesus Christ, the one who personified himself on the cross, put little children on his knee, and yet we say he's the one that kills children, he's the one that kills them with cancer, or he kills teenagers in car accidents, or he has earthquakes swallow up entire families, or he kills 17 people on a lake in Arkansas. The God I know The God I love, the God I serve, does not plan and plot tragedy. God does not cause suffering. Write that down. God does not cause suffering. So you're probably going to ask, well, why do we have suffering? If God is good and God is great, why is there suffering and pain in the world? And you notice this theodicy question throughout all of the Bible. It's asked again and again. It's asked in the Psalms. It's asked in the book of Job. If you haven't read the book of Job, you need to read the book of Job. That's a whole question in and of itself. Even the the prophet Habakkuk asked this question. Jeremiah writes these words because he asked the same question of God. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? And many of us would ask the same exact question. And so what's the answer to Jeremiah's verses? What's the answer to Jeremiah's complaint? I can tell you in one word, freedom. We live in a world where God has given us freedom. The same freedom that allows us to choose to love God allows other peoples to pick up weapons and to kill. Freedom itself is good, just like of all of God's gifts. It's good. But some of us use those very same gifts to pervert that gift and use it for evil. Once again, folks, evil is alive and well in this world. Make no mistake about it. So why doesn't God intervene when people start shooting rifles or or throwing bombs? Why doesn't God do something to prevent people from killing others? Same exact word, freedom. Freedom is at stake. If God takes away our freedom to do good, then he takes away our freedom for evil as well. Without the potential of evil, there can be no good. Think about it. Without the potential of evil, there can be no good. He created us to be in relationship with Him and with each other. It's our free choice. Don't we love our free choice? Don't we love to exercise our free choice? Free will, it can be our greatest blessing, and it can also be our greatest problem. And it has two dimensions to it our freedom. Sometimes it's the decisions we make, and sometimes it's the decisions or the choices that others make. A man decides that he can beat a train to a railroad crossing, and he misses by only one second, but he misses. A teenager decides to try drugs and becomes an addict. He suffers, his family suffers, his friends suffer. A deranged man takes a rifle and starts pumping bullets into a crowd. He is displeased, he is distraught, he is depressed, and there is suffering. A religious fanatic ties a bomb around himself and then goes into a crowded railway station and detonates it. And once again, people suffer. Free will, the freedom to choose, it is our highest privilege And it is our scariest responsibility. Hear me. Our highest privilege and our scariest responsibility. The truth is, as much of the suffering that we have in the world is because of the misuse and abuse of free will. God made us free. He didn't make us a bunch of robots. That's not what he wanted. Sometimes we make the wrong choices. And sometimes others make the wrong choices for us. Secondly, some people will ask, well, how about all the natural desires, disasters? How about the tsunamis and the earthquakes, the tornadoes? Folks, I hope you remember that in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, everything was perfect. Everything was wonderful. We're not even given reason to believe that there was anything like that. But as soon as we decide to exercise that free will of which I speak, and we decided that we were going to be disobedient, then everything, everything, was affected the truth is we live in a sinful world bad things happen to both innocent people and to guilty people and sin permeates everything it permeates biology humanity geography and whether you're good or you're bad you reap the experiences of it the natural laws of this universe are dependable they were put into place so this creation would work They operate the same for all people, whether you're good, whether you're bad, whether you're ugly. You can take the law of gravity. If I go out today and go up, climb on our steeple, and decide for whatever reason to jump, doesn't make any difference how good I am, how moral I am. Even if I'm made out of rubber, there's going to be some suffering because I have gone against a natural law that God has put into place for this creation to work. Whether I'm good or bad, I've violated that law. And a lot of our suffering in this world comes when we come face to face with these dependable laws of the universe. We got to understand that these laws are essential to give order to all of creation, but they can also bring suffering and heartache and damage. And when we put ourselves in a position to work against them, we're asking for that pain and suffering. Please don't go down to the beach and stand there with arms wide open and welcome in the next tsunami, because there's going to be suffering involved with that. That is a part of the natural laws that are put into place. So, where is God when it hurts? I'm sure you're asking that question. Where is God when planes crash and boats sink and the earthquakes tear open the ground? How do we make sense of this monster of suffering, and how do we deal with it? I want to lift up to you a passage today, a passage from the Old Testament, from the prophet of Isaiah, and Isaiah is talking about Jesus Christ in this passage, but he is also talking to us, and I want you to hear, this is what he writes in the 53rd chapter, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and familiar with sufferings. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities, and he carried our sorrows. Do you hear that? He carried our sorrows. He carries our sorrows today because of who he is and what he did. I want you to hear that today. Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, whatever suffering or pain is a part of your life, God carries you with your sorrows. He shares it with you. He cries with you. He aches with you. He never wants you to be grieving alone. Jesus tells us that in his suffering, we also will have to suffer. We will pick up our cross to follow him, and that will entail suffering. The cross and the resurrection reveal that God suffers and that we also will suffer. But God took the greatest pain, the greatest heartache that any of us have known when he nailed himself, got nailed to a tree. He took all that pain upon himself. Christ endured the greatest of suffering so that you and I would not have eternal suffering, which is separation from the Father. Secondly, I want you to also consider that suffering and grief... Give an opportunity for God to show His strength through us and in us. I think one of the things we can do in our daily suffering, in our daily hurt, is to embrace God's grace, a grace that helps us get through the most difficult of times in our life. More than anything else in the world, God wants us to experience His grace, not just for half an hour, not just for an hour, not just for a day, but each and every day of our lives, He wants us to experience His grace. And there is no other venue, none, that God doesn't show his grace more strongly than in pain and sorrow and suffering. In fact, you have to remember that there is no grace without suffering. There is no grace apart from suffering. What are we told? What are we told? My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. Remember Paul? Remember his thorn in the flesh? We don't know exactly what it was. We know that he struggled with it for some 14 years. And there was time where even this man, as faithful as Paul was, was questioning, where is God when it hurts? Why God? Why? And yet I bet you even Paul would tell you that in his pain and his suffering, God taught him things that Paul would never learn any other way. You know, I don't have to be the bearer of bad news. But I want to tell you that you're going to find out a lot more about God. You're going to learn a lot more about God and learn about, more about God, what, wants from, what he wants from you in your down places, in your suffering places, than you ever are on the mountaintop. You're going to learn more about God in the deepest, darkest valley that you go through than you ever will at the mountaintop. Now, we all love the good times. We all love the mountaintop, don't we? it's great. We can see everything and it's beautiful. Oh, God is in his heaven. Birds are humming. No, bees are humming. Birds are singing. Okay, whatever. It's good. A lot of times we forget about God in times like that. But boy, when we get to the valley, when we get to those dark places, those places of suffering or pain and hurt, where do we go to first? Who do we call on first? C.S. Lewis called suffering and pain God's Megaphone. I love that. God's megaphone. He wrote these words. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience. But he shouts at us in our pain. He shouts at us in our pain. God's megaphone. Back in 1982, been about... 35 years. I read a wonderful book. I've enjoyed it several times since then. Some of you have probably heard it. Many of you have probably read it. I would encourage you to read it, to give you another perspective. Rabbi Harold Kushner's book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Rabbi Kushner wrote that book because of his own personal grief experience, because of what he was going through. He lost a son, Aaron, to a rapid aging disease. He felt a deep aching sense of unfairness in the world. Matter of fact, he even mentions that he called out at one time, why God, why, I'm a rabbi? As if that really makes any difference. But then came the hard question. Then came the haunting question. Why should God do this to his son? Why does this innocent, happy, outgoing little boy have to suffer some 11 years before he dies at the tender age of 14? Why would you ever allow that, God? Why would this good and great God ever allow that? And Rabbi Kushner lived through that nightmare. He struggled with his own faith and he came to a new understanding of suffering. Kushner could not blame God. He knew that God loved him. He knew that God was suffering with him and with his son. But he remembered in reading the Psalms that the psalmist does not say, my pain comes from the Lord. My tragedy comes from the Lord. No. My help comes from the Lord. My strength comes from the Lord. And Rabbi Kushner concluded in the midst of his own pain and suffering that we keep asking the wrong question. The wrong question. It's not, God, why did you do this to me? The question should be, what would you have me do, God? What would you have me say, God? God. What would you have me learn, God, in the midst of all my suffering and pain? What is it that you want me to know, God? Only then do we really see the grace of God allow us to get through the most difficult times of our lives. You know, let's face it, folks. Early on in our lives, we think we're in control of everything, don't we? We're the captains of our own destiny. Matter of fact, when you're about six years old, you think you're going to live forever. That's true for about all of us. But suddenly life veers out of control for some reason. There's a lump found in the breast. There's an automobile accident. There's a sports injury. There's a host of other surprising bumps and obstacles on the highway of life. And suddenly you are reminded of your mortality. And then we are reminded we are not in control. And we turn to the one who always has been and always will be in control. The one who understands our pain and our suffering. The one who shares our pain and our suffering because he watched his own son die on the cross in pain and in suffering. As I leave you today, I want you to know that all of us will experience suffering pain, hurt, sorrow. And suffering allows you two things to happen in your life. You can either become bitter or you can become better. You can either become bitter or you can become better. Your choice. Your choice. As you leave today, As you go outside these doors and are reminded that all of us are going to have to tackle this monster of suffering, I want to remind you that it's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens to you that makes the difference. It's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens to you that makes the difference. It's not why, it's what. Would you bow your heads with me, please?